With that being said, I would have us turn to Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to be reading verses 3 through 7. When you <coughs> find your place in Scripture, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God made, the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. It's reading God's holy word. You may be seated. There may be times in our life, and in the, even in the times of life of the church, in our family lives, in our households, where sometimes things seem like they're swirling out of control. We could remember on this Tuesday, in two days, we'll mark 17 years to one of those days in the life of our country where things were going out of control. I remember at the time, I was working on the west side of Aurora at a place called Associated Bank there in Galena, and I was, as I was working there, uh, people were coming in, doing their usual banking business. Then one of our, uh, one of the, the senior vice president of the bank came out and said, I can't believe they've done it. And of course, we didn't know what he was talking about. We turned on the news, and the rest of the day, all we see is this coverage of buildings burning and airplanes crashing. We know what it was. It was 9-11. We, we remember it uh, with very uh, sadness in our hearts. I remember the evil of that day as the news, there was a... Uh, uh, a reporter over in the Middle East uh, who interviewed the uh, Palestinian Authority President uh, Yasser uh, Arafat and he's he's shaking saying this is horrible horrible but in the background you saw the Palestinians burning American flags rejoicing over it and I remember later later the next day they, they had Billy Graham's daughter on, on the news saying where was God yesterday where was he? Where was God on 9-11? He's still with us. And her, her response, I thought, was absolutely perfect. She says, God is right where you put him. You said he's not allowed to be in our schools. He's not allowed to be in our government buildings. So why do you want him to show up when our enemies attack us? That's very true. And so there, there's moments in our lives where we're Things are out of control. And we're like, where, where is God in this? How, how can this be of God? And there's some, some things I, I think we need to, when we're going through some principles that, that can help us understand some things. And we can answer, where was God on 9-11? And, and those hard things, maybe in your life right now, things are out of control. Your, your home life, there's stuff going on. Maybe the marriage is falling apart. Maybe your, your kids are falling after ways of the devil, they're getting involved in drugs and all kinds of horrible things. And you're like, how is this of God? Where are you, God? Why don't you show up? Let's first understand, and this number one principle is an absolute. God acts out of love. Amen. God will never act out of maliciousness. He will never try to deceive or confuse. He acts out of love always. Even his discipline is out of love. Amen. I want us to think about this. It says, in the beginning, God spoke the world into existence. Amen? Amen? 
So he speaks the world into a being. First on day one we have the, the waterly form, formless planet Earth. At day one we have Earth. There's no sun, moon, and stars. It is just the Earth. It is darkness. And then it says there's a void. And then he speaks light. Not the light that comes from the sun, moon, and stars. A much different light. This light is the light of the world. And so from the very beginning... At the very foundations of the earth, we, we have God and, and the true light of the world. As we go on, we can look. We see in day two that, that God is continuing to speak things into existence. He, he speaks the earth's atmosphere. We, we see the water start to become separated. There is the, the, the atmosphere in the heavens and there is the atmosphere on, on the earth below. Day three, we see the land and the oceans are, are separated and the oceans are told where they are allowed to go, and they are allowed to go no further. They are not allowed to do anything outside of God's will. We see the, the entire system of waters, the, the mist that starts to come upon the earth, the vegetation, the, the seed-bearing plants, the trees that bear fruit are starting to appear on the earth. Day four, the sun, the moon, the stars, what we call the solar system, the universe, is created. Why? Why would God create such things? I want you to ponder why he creates in the way that he does. Day five, we have the water creatures. We, we have all, all the things that, that had the breath of life, the animals that, 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 that are being formed. The birds of the air. Day six, the land animals. The creatures that, that crawl on the ground. The creatures that, that we call livestock. The large animals are elephants and our cows. Our giraffes, they are, they are spoken into existence by God here on the earth. But then something changes in the way God is creating. God says, let us create man in our image. And so does God speak and man is there? No. God gets a little dirty, doesn't he? It says, with his own hands, God reaches down into the dirt, the clay, the, the earth that he has made by speaking it, and he forms man with his own hands. I want you to think about this. God spoke those wonderful stars that we look up to at night. He spoke those into existence. He had the ability, he could have spoke us to existence, but his love for us is much greater, and it is, it is different. He spoke the angels, the angels with all this authority and power. He speaks them into existence, but with us, it was intimate. It was personal. He took care. And he said, I am going to make them in my own image. We are image bearers of God. And that is why sin is such a devastating thing in our lives. is because we have been creating that image. We were created to bring God glory, to worship Him. We all have a creative nature because we are like God. He, he has caused us to, to come to, to take care of what He has created to create other life in our children and to show them that life is good and that God is good and he deserves to be worshipped because of his love. God loves you because God is love. He doesn't look at you and say, well, I'm going to love Cookie because I know one day she's going to be this great organ player and make this beautiful music and help other people worship. No, that is not how God does it. God says, I love Cookie because I love Cookie. I love Elaine because I love Elaine. I love Mike because I love Mike. That's who God is. He's not looking at what he's getting out of it. He, he creates and he loves just because that is who he is. 
But as we know, that is who he is. And he had created us in perfection. He had, he had created the entire earth, the entire solar system. He could have put us anywhere. But God handcrafts this place called the Garden of Eden. And he puts Adam there. And then he has a deep sleep fall upon Adam. Because there's nothing in creation that God had made to be that helper, that partner for Adam. And so out of Adam's own womb, he takes the rib out and he, he forms Eve just for Adam. Because he loves Adam and he loves Eve and he knows exactly what they need. He has put them in paradise and given them to each other because of his great love. And in this moment, we don't know how long they are there. But somebody is jealous. Somebody's pride is entering in. And at this point, and it's not Adam's and it's not Eve's. This is our number two principle here is that while God loves us and he always acts out of love, we have an enemy that is working to sabotage our relationship with God. So on 9-11, you say, where was God? That's not even the right question. What we're seeing is we are seeing where the devil was. The devil got up inside of somebody and said, we are going to hurt people. We are going to try to kill and maim as many people as we can. Why? Because they're Americans. Why Americans? Because they stand on the word of God. They represent a Christian nation. Now we may look around and say, we don't really represent a Christian nation. And I would agree with that sentiment. But too much, much of the world, we are still the nation that represents the cross. And people don't like that. The devil hates that because the cross defeats the devil. Amen. The cross represents the great love of God. And so in Genesis, let me read from chapter 3 here. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So we have this serpent, this is the devil here, and entering the serpent, driving a wedge between Adam and his God, between our ancestor Adam, who is our representative, between us and God. God had given us everything that we could ever have desired or needed. There was no pain, there was no suffering, there was no disease. We were given one command, and the devil was quick to... She used that to say, did God really say? And this is what the devil does. He's like, you know, is God really telling you to do that? He, he tries to twist it around and, and to, to warp it. There, there are people who, who will tell you that, that God just wants you to be happy, to love whoever you want. Yes, God desires you to be happy. God wants you to, to love who he's given you to love. But the devil says, no. Don't listen to what God says. Do not love. Do not have that kind of relationship. And so we, we allow the devil to twist, twist it around. But there are men in our world and in our very community who say, I'm not going to fall in love with a woman because God has made me gay. 
That is blasphemy. God has not made you gay. Then there, there are people who say, well, you know, I know God says marriage is holy. And you should only uh, love, love, love your wife, but I'm going to cheat on my wife because that is what makes me happy. Or says, no, we're not going to get married because nobody else is getting married. Why should I go through that, that burden? Because God has said, this is what is good for you. Just, just, just like God had, had put us in the garden, he has given us marriage to bring us closer together so that in that marriage we can experience that love that God has for us. But we listen to the world, we listen to the devil who's always trying to divide. And when we think of this, what, what does Adam do when God confronts Adam? Well, if you read on in, in, in uh, Genesis 3 there, Adam and Eve realize they are naked. Uh-oh, we're naked. God's coming. We better put some clothes on and hide. Now, of course, God, being God, knows what they've already done. And he approaches them and said, Who has told you that you are naked? And, of course, what is Adam being the, the righteous man here, what does he do? First, he blames Eve. <clears throat> Big mistake. You blame the one that God, out of his love, has given you. Husbands, don't blame your wives when you fail. We are going to fail. We mess up. We get it wrong. Get on your knees. Repent before your God who is loving and he is just to forgive you. He has given your wife to help you. She, she is not there to hurt you. And then, then after the blaming of the wife doesn't work, what does Adam do? He blames God. So the God who has created everything. Why, why did, I asked you a minute ago, why did God create the stars? Because he knew that the day is going to come where we're going to look up to the heavens at night and be in awe of God's creation and say, who are we that God would make the stars just so that we may have the enjoyment of, of looking up them and giving God praise for his creation? You, you can look out at, at, at night and see the sunset every night. It's like a master painter every night. And God has spoken every sunset into existence from the beginning. You can look at, at the oceans and how they roar. God has created all this. Why? So that we may marvel at how good and loving he is. He has created that for our enjoyment. And in a proper setting, we can look at that and give God glory. But what the devil likes to do is he, he'll say, look at that mountain. And he'll tell us to worship the mountain instead of the one who has created the mountain. He'll tell us to worship the tree instead of the one who has created the tree. And there are people in our society who are willing to die to save a tree. But they won't die to save a little child. Save the trees and kill the children. It's a well-known song by Casting Crowns that calls our attention to that. We, we are so backwards, we've got it so twisted, because the devil said, you can be like God. And humanity loves to hear that. Say, yeah, I can be like a God. People will worship me. It'll be all about me and, and what makes me happy. But what we don't understand is deep down, we have been created to be in that loving relationship with God. That we are only truly happy. We are only truly have that pure joy with the rest of the stress of life doesn't matter anymore is when we are in that relationship worshiping God. Because that is what we have been created to do. Amen. Nothing in this life will truly bring you pleasure outside of being in that relationship with God. If we are in that right standing with God, then when we go to work, whether it is at a place like Walmart or, or as a CEO of a big 
big company or as a sports star or whatever you may find that, that God has placed in your life, if you are truly in that right relationship with God, you will find that you could do that work as if you're doing it for the Lord. And so it will be a source of great joy. But when we're not right with God, it's like, okay, i got to do this because I have to go and provide for my family. Will God not provide for your family? He will. Amen. He will. There's not one of us here who is starving today. Not one of us, because God provides. We have homes that are far blessed. If we were to go to any other country in the world, we'd look around and we'd see shacks and, and mud roofs. And they are thankful for those homes because it keeps them dry. And, and we tend to go in homes like, oh, I don't want that home. It's kind of, it's aging. It's kind of old. Or it, it's got creaky floors or the taxes are too high. We find all kinds of reasons not to be happy. And that's the devil again saying this, just whispering in our ear, that little slithering snake saying, did God really say? God said, trust in me. I will provide for you. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's troubles are enough. Today's troubles are enough for Dave. God will provide our daily bread each and every day. For he is the bread of life. But I want us to see before we move on to the next point of, of what God does next. I, I said sometimes God will discipline out of love. Have you ever been disciplined out of love? If you have good parents, you, you should have been disciplined out of love. But you have a good and holy father who will discipline you out of love. What happens next? There, there is a very a sad moment. A lot of us miss this in the garden. An animal is slain. A sacrifice must be made to atone for sin. Their coverings that they receive are animal coverings. And so an animal is sacrificed and God drives the man and the woman out of the garden. Why does God remove the garden from Adam and Eve? It is out of his grace. We were talking about earlier. It is out of God's grace because, as my wife just pointed out, in that very same garden there was the tree of eternal life. Just like there was a tree that gave the knowledge of good and evil. What would have happened if God lets them stay? The serpent comes over and says, hey, Eve, I got another one for you. This one's even better. You eat this, you know how God said you will surely die. This tree will stop you from ever dying. We'd be lost in our sin. Amen. We'd be lost in our sin, living forever, unable to die. Who here is ready for that in your body? Amen. Imagine the body you got right now. It's decaying. It's falling apart. But it's only going to get worse. Because that body is never going to give out. It's going to continue to crumble. So we'd be paralyzed, laying there, suffering for all eternity. When God removed us from the garden, it was out of his grace. Amen. And we could, see, we could see this when he does this. And he gives a promise to Eve that he's going to make this right. That he will give her a descendant that will crush the head of that serpent. And his name is Jesus Christ. He is God's own son. But I want you to see that you matter to God. Because in Romans 5, 8, it says that, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were like Adam and Eve, we have screwed up, we have sinned, we have fallen short of the glory of God. Christ died on the cross for us. 
But it's even beyond that. It's even greater than that. Because if you think of Adam and Eve, they, they've messed up in the garden. And, and sometimes we think, well, now God's got to come up with a plan B because we messed it up. Plan A was this. Before the foundations of the world, before God had spoke on day one, the lamb was slain. In the very beginning, Jesus said, I will die for them because I love them. Not because of how it's going to be at the end of time, or not because of what they will do, not because of how good they might be, or not because they would choose me, but because God loves you, he died for you. And he was willing to do it before the first breath of life was ever given, before Eve was ever tempted, before Adam ever had any notion of what sin was. Christ died for you. Understand, that is what Scripture clearly teaches. Amen. So you matter to God. I want you to understand that, that real clearly. That you matter to God. That God loves you. And whether you're struggling with addiction and you never overcome it, God loves you. You, you may be here thinking that, that, how could God love someone like me? I was once that person. Now I'm going to give you a little background. I, I, was, I was a... I was the bastard son of two hippie parents. My father was a drug dealer. They both would later abandon me, first one, then the other. I'd be taken in by family members, but it was only for a period of time. I moved 18 times before I became an adult. Almost all of those were by myself. It was, you go live with this person now, you go live with this person. For a little while, I found solace in my grandfather. You, know, you, you want to hear a shocker? My grandfather is the one who first told me about Jesus. Amen. My grandfather was a homosexual. Try to balance that in your little, little nine-year-old mind. My grandfather dies of emphysema when he's 55 years old. I was nine years old, and I was sent to live in foster care. I won't say what happened in foster care, but those are the worst years of my life. I understand what it means to be abused to be forgotten, to be rejected. And so I grew, I grew up, eventually I would be taken out of that situation, adopted by my uncle, who told me he felt an obligation to his father to do it. It was not out of love for me. And so I, it was quickly known I was the adopted son. And that's how I was introduced to people as a teenager. This is my adopted son. Or this is my brother's son. It was known my dad was the black sheep of the family. He was the outcast. He was the reject. And I picked up on that legacy. And so for me, growing up as a child, I learned you were only loved if you could bring something to the table. If you had something to offer, people would love you. And so I was used to people. The moment that I could no longer offer somebody something to expect rejection, to expect to be cast out, to be spurned. But you know what I found? I found a God who is not that way. Amen. I once had a deep and passionate prayer shortly after my father, when in my early 20s, got out of jail and came back in my life and kind of was wanting a relationship but wasn't really willing to commit. Even with him, I was still, I, I was his son, but he had two other sons that he raised. And so I have, have this father, but he's more like an uncle. I have a mother who's raised other children, so I don't fit in anywhere. I only fit in with God. And so I got down on my knees, and I had one of those 
bold yet angry prayer. Say, God, why did you give me such reject parents? Why did you give me a father who doesn't care, who doesn't love me? Why didn't my mother love me? She loved other children. What's wrong with me? Why am I treated this way? And I remember very clearly in my spirit hearing God speak saying, haven't I been the perfect father for you? Haven't I always loved you? Amen. Haven't I always done everything for you? I sent my son for you. He's told me you've gone through this pain because you're going to help others as Amen. they go through pain. I didn't understand it at the time, but my childhood was preparation for ministry. Amen. And you will find oftentimes you're going to go through hard times and you don't understand why you're going through this. But when we look at it, we say, where is God? We'll see God in those moments preparing our hearts, preparing so that we can offer others that hope. And so it is in, in those moments that I realize that God loves me. He really loves me. He doesn't love me because he knew he was going to make me a pastor and I was going to preach some great sermon one day that was going to change the history of the world. I do not believe I've had that moment yet. But the truth is, God has loved me long before I could ever preach. Amen. And it's not because of any sermon He loves me. And it's not because I go and, and I love on people in the hospital that He loves me. God loves me because God is love. Amen. And so when, when we're feeling unloved and we're feeling rejected, ministry is lonely. Mm -hmm. There are times you feel absolutely alone. But God is with you. So we're not really alone. Amen. And we can only understand in part through our pain what Jesus went through on this earth, what he went through on the cross, what he endured, the mocking and the shame, because he saw what lied ahead. Amen. And so for, for us in, in these reflections that I have, I want you to know that I love you. I absolutely do. And you know that God loves you. So often as, as a child, we, we, we wanted to, to, to have that relationship with our parents where it would be right. I wanted my mom and dad to be together. I remember one time I was like 14 and my dad was, it was one period of time where he was not incarcerated and my mom was going to be in town in Princeton because she lives in Texas and they just, their paths were going to be all crossed. And so my grandmother tried to work it out where, you know, I could meet them both just for an hour. And you could tell there was my mom's family wanting to have time with me and my, my dad's family not wanting to allow that at all. And I just wanted to sit down on the couch with them and take a picture. And they refused to take a picture together. So I got this picture of, of me sitting on the couch with my dad and then another picture in the same position with my mom on the other side of me, but they wouldn't even sit on the same couch together. And I would ask them questions every kid wants to know, like, why in the world did you give me such a horrible middle name? And my dad said it was my mom. My mom said it was my dad's other girlfriend. And I'm like, what in the world was going on when I was born? But I, re I realized that, yes, I, I was like every other kid that wanted their parents, but I realized my parents were not ready to be parents. Well, who would I be if I would have been raised by them? I really say I've been raised by my grandparents, and I thank God for them. But I've really been raised by God. He has been watching over me always. Amen. And so there's always going to be this temptation we have to go back. 
Adam and Eve, I'm sure there's a reason that God put an uh, angel to flaming swords at the Garden of Eden. Because we always want to go back. They wanted to go back to the garden because that's where it was good. That's where we had that relationship with God. And we're always going to want to go back. The, the Hebrews, when, when they were free and they were in the wilderness, they, they had set free from slavery. Where did they want to go to? Did they want to go to the promised land? No, they want to go back to slavery. They want to go back to Egypt. Why? Because it's comfortable. Because there's food there. Even that there's a taskmaster with a whip willing to beat you. And to take your children and turn them into slaves. We're always trying to go back. Go back to the glory days. Go back to singing just hymns. I love the hymns. But God has also given us this, this newer contemporary music to sing as well. We always want to go back. We want to go back to the glory days of America. We hear it in our president's slogan, Make America Great Again. I would love for America to be founded on, on the rock of Jesus Christ again, for them to, to look to God for everything in, in what we do. To, to Instead of saying, how are we going to fix this? We need to fix the insurance. We need to fix taxes. No, we need to get on our knees and get right with God. Amen. That is what we need to do. But we can't ever go back. Because we can't go back to the garden no more than we can go back to the cross. The future lies ahead. It is an eternity that we should be looking and longing for. Because newsflash, there is not going to be a moment you go back to the garden and are walking with God as Adam and Eve did. No, a day is going to come when Christ returns and he puts an end to Satan and his evil ways. And there will be a new heaven, a new earth, a new Eden, a new bodies for believers like you and I. Amen. And so we were always going to fight that urge to go back to what we thought was an easier time. Why is that? Because we want to be in control. But we can't be in control going forward. We have to give that control to God. Amen. That's something that, that I've learned. When I, when, I first, when I first came here a little over three years ago, I was hurting. You guys may not have realized it, but I was interning at a church, and that church stabbed me in the back. I don't know how else to say it. I, I had a great mentor, uh, Pastor Barry Norris, who, who, had, uh, who had been interning or had been putting me under an internship, was training me to be a minister, and then he felt God telling him he needed to take a break. He was burnt out working a full-time, 15-hour-a-week job at Fermi Lab. And he was completely exhausted. His family was exhausted. So he steps down. And so I'm left with, with the church as an intern, and they're trying to figure the way forward. And it was really clearly I realized that I was not the church's intern. I was the pastor's intern. And that hurt because I consider that church family. I still do. I grieve. I, I heard one of the members yesterday had passed away. We took a moment to... To, to, to grieve and we will be there with with her family this Thursday when their service happens but it hurt because I realized once again even in church sometimes in this world you're only loved as long as you have something to offer once I didn't have anything to offer or was that church but I thank God and when I came here I realized you guys have been through pain too and one of the things I've tried very hard is to help you heal. We've been through many things together. And yes, death has been a theme. 
but it is a good thing because we are walking alongside brothers and sisters that they've been ushered into glory. We talk about not wanting to go back. Many of us on, on here on earth that are still on this side would do anything to have those loved ones back. I would love to have my brother Papa Tom you know, shake my hand and he'd probably tell me, you couldn't find the off-ramp today, huh, brother? <laughs> I, I, loved, I loved hearing those words from him. I love seeing Sister Juanita get on fire. I'll remember those moments. I remember, I'll always remember the person I, when I first started asking you guys to stand for the reading of God's Word. The second Sunday I did that, there was one person who stood up before I ever said it. It was Sister Carla Pitts. I thank God. And many of us, we want to go back. We want to be those good, those good old days when all those people were here. But you know what? There's no way in the world they would offer to come back because they are in glory and paradise right now. And they're looking forward to the future when we will join them. So we must get out of this nature, in our sinful nature, of wanting to go back. We must look at what's ahead. I'll be completely honest. My, my heart is with you. I don't want to leave. But God has told me there is a future that he has prepared for my family and I of ministry. And so like, like Moses had to, to go, he couldn't stay with his people. Well, we see over and over again, that Abraham had to, to leave for the future that God had for him. It doesn't mean that God lo loved Abraham any differently than he loved the people. But he said, I'm calling you out. I am sending you out. What if the original apostles, what if the twelve never went out? What if Peter and John and James, they never leave Jerusalem? Well, it would be a really small church, wouldn't it? We'd have to travel to Jerusalem to hear about the gospel. But no, there's a church in nearly every nation in this world because they were faithful and obedient when they went out. So I want you to know, church, that I do love you. I am not doing this because somebody is, is forcing our hand. It's not about finances. It's not about all those things that I hear people whispering about. It's because God has said it is time. God has told me I love these people. You know I'm not going to allow them to falter. I mentioned on the 23rd we're going to have a pastor out who I believe God is going to use to take this church to the next level, to free up our, our worries about finances, to, to provide lively worship so that we as a people, as a church, can focus on this community. Okay, they are churches that, that help churches like ours kind of revitalize that, that ministry. I, I know many of you have been here for decades and have been serving faithfully and you deserve to see real fruit. And we have seen fruit, but I believe the greatest fruit is still yet to come. I'm so thankful to be able to get to do one more baptism. I remember uh, reading to you guys not too long ago that New Hope Baptist Church of the, Southern, of the Southern Baptist Churches in Illinois is one of the leading baptizing churches in the state. Now we may kind of joke and say, well, we're not a very big church. How can that be? Because God is blessing us. He is honoring our faithfulness. I believe that will mark the 24th baptism in the last three years. Praise God for that. Amen? Amen. I don't know when the last time before that there was baptisms, but I know God has blessed, blessed this church in that. And it, this, this community needs the gospel. It still needs that new hope that we offer. But we have to remind ourselves that God loves us. That God is not removing our pastor to abandon us. 
that he has great things in store and ahead. And I know the pain. You have to say goodbye. I have to say goodbye to all. It's not easy. But God is going to use this to grow his kingdom, to bring glory to his name. Amen? I said that we, we bring, that a, the shepherd, when he goes to look for the lost sheep, is to bring them to a safe field. And I, I believe we are at that place where we have healed enough that when God shows you the next man of God he has for you, that there will not be the, the pain that there has been. Now, could we have done more in the last three years? I believe so. But we had to heal first. And there, there was much that, that needed to be healed. And that, that's not, not easy to trust when you've been, when you've been hurt. I shared an analogy in the, uh, in the Sunday school class. The, the reason a lot of times we, we struggle with trusting people is because when you go to give some of that brotherly hug like we do in our fellowship time, what, what are you doing with your arms? You wrap your arms around them, but at the same time your arms are now down, your defense is down. And so if that person chooses to, they can stab you in the back. That pain hurts. I've experienced that pain. Many of us have experienced that pain. But if we're never willing to open our arms, embrace, and show people the love of Christ to avoid that pain, we're never going to be able to share in that joy of that love. And so we, we need to be willing to embrace each other in that love, embrace the time that we've had together, and realize that this is not a goodbye, this is not an end. But a day is coming in all eternity where we'll have forever together. Amen. I will finish. I will finish with uh, one more thing. The Apostle John. He walked with Jesus for three years. He was part of the inner circle. He he saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, where where Jesus shone with his glory in part. He was there when when Judas would would betray Jesus. He was he was the one who who whispered in Jesus' ear and says. Who is it, Lord, that's going to betray you? And Jesus says, it is one who I, who I dip in and give this bread to. And he knew it was Judas. John knew Jesus very intimately, very close. What happens when John sees Jesus in his full glory? John falls down on his face as if he's dead. If anyone would have recognized Jesus, it would have been John. But seeing God in his glory was beyond anything John was prepared for. A day is going to come when we are going to stand before Christ. We are going to behold his glory and be in awe. But I firmly also believe you're going to look around and you're going to see other people. You may not recognize them because they are in their fully glorified bodies. But you're going to hear testimonies of how you have touched their lives. And how the ministry that you have been part of. You may look at yourself and think, I play a small part in a small church. That doesn't seem to matter very much. But in God's plan, you matter very significantly. I believe our children and grandchildren are going to do great things far beyond any of us could ever dream for God's glory in His kingdom until He comes again. And when we, we look and see and we're like, how did I play a part in that? Maybe it's because you are that child's Sunday school teacher. Thank you for being my child's Sunday school teacher. Thank you for loving on my family. 
because you don't know the impact you've had on us. Wherever God sends, I know I can go, and I know that God loves me. That yes, there's always going to be people who rub you the wrong way and who don't like you because they don't, you got too much gray hair or not enough or whatever it is. I actually had a person come up to me recently and say, Hey, I like you. You're like my grandsons. You got premature gray hair. And I'm like, Wow, did that just happen? People will say the darndest things to you. But understand, you have real impact on each other's lives. We will see each other outside of church and inside of church, and we are family forever. Amen. I sincerely tell you, I have family that lives in this town. They could care less if I were to die tomorrow. I have family here that would grieve for long periods of time in this church. Next Sunday, please be here. Do not follow me as a pastor. Follow Jesus. Amen. If you get anything from me, God loves you because Jesus died on the cross. I haven't died for you. I can't die for you because I am a sinner. I can't save you, but I can tell you about the hope of the one who does save. Amen. And so I will be worshiping with you a little farther away next week, but I will be here the 23rd and 30th. And days in the future come that I, that I pray that this church continues to grow to be a vibrant, healthy church. And that when God brings my family back for those times of, of family get-togethers and whatnot, that I could come and I could worship with you on Sundays. Not as your pastor, but as your brother. I, I've loved you as a pastor and a brother. I've told you many times, when you've been in the hospital and I've shown up, it's not because I'm your pastor. If you want to talk biblically, your deacons are the ones that should be visiting you in the hospital, not your pastors. But I do it because I'm your brother and I love you. And I want you to know the love of God. If I've disciplined you or made your life a little difficult, it's because there's some things in your life you need to get right with God. Amen. Not because I want to be the mean, grunt, grumpy pastor that's being super strict, but because God loves you. Amen. And there's good things for you if you get right with God. There's blessings when you are obedient to Christ. Amen. And so I, I encourage you to follow that up. To know that God loves you. There's one thing that these last few months have taught me. There have been hard moments Moments I felt very alone, sometimes betrayed. But I realized it was the devil trying to get in to, to whisper and try to divide. God said we have to be united. Don't look back, look, look what's ahead. I, I really believe this gentleman that we'll speak to on the 23rd is something that, that God has in store for this church that's going to take us beyond anything we could imagine. And I'll be able to look back and know that I was part of planting the seed, part of part of working in the ground and that you guys will be able to see the harvest and we will rejoice together amen, amen. so I'm going to close now with a prayer but first I, I want to read uh, the final scripture of today is Romans 8 in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So God may, may move my family one time. He may move your family in a different point. He'll bring others. That, that is how church works. But nothing will separate us because we are bound together in the love of God. Amen. When Christ died on the cross, he had you and I in mind. When I had that horrible childhood, yeah, it wasn't fun. 
but now I can look back and I can identify with you in your pain. And we can see where, where God has loved us. And I want you to see that this is not something that God is doing to us, but that God is using this moment and the future, the promised land for this church is what, what is at stake. We, we are kind of in that wilderness point. Moses was leading the people. They should have been in the promised land in 40 days. There's no reason you couldn't have a pastor in 40 days from now. God is able to do it. He may not do it. That may not be his will. But let, don't go back. If you go back to the old ways, things are going to struggle. And you're going to have that hard time. Don't be divided amongst each other. We all serve a wonderful, loving God who loves us all. Amen. And we want to do what he, his will is, not our own. Amen. It's when Eve sought her own will, deceived by the serpent, that problems came. It's when Adam sought his own will that problems came. But when we seek God's will, Amen. we see heaven and earth moved. At, at the end, when our, our days are up, when we breathe our last, let us have no regrets, knowing that we've loved each other with the love of God. Amen. And I, I want to say, if, if you're going through something, maybe at home, maybe things just marriage or business or work or whatever it may be is not going good like God how is this of you know that God has your best interest at heart and that he loves you and say this last month or so has been very difficult for me and my family We've, we're living in a hotel right now God has sold our home but I can tell you there's been nothing that I've ever experienced more freeing in this last month of knowing that God is in control. To, to just surrender it to God. And stop trying to figure out how you're going to do it. I'm one of those that I'll work hard enough. I'll, I'll make sure my, my family has enough. I'll, I'll do what I have to to make sure that the church is, is doing good enough. And at the end of the day, God's saying, Dylan, you don't have the ability to do it. Only I do. So get out of my way and let me do it. And I think that's a message we all can take to heart in various points in our lives. Stop trying to cure everybody. Stop trying to fix everything. Get down on your knees and let God do it. Get out of his way. Amen. And when you see that fruit that comes, you won't care that if it was you or not that produced it. You're just going to be happy to see your family free from their sin, being, being saved, free from those addictions, free from that, that debt, free from that weight, whatever it is that's, you know, free from the, the bondage of hostility in marriages, you're going to see God move. Amen. And when we see God move, we were going to rejoice together. Because I don't care who gets the credit. I don't care if the world ever knows my name. I want the world to know the name of Jesus. Amen. And I know we all want that. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Amen. Father, Lord Jesus, I thank